I want to look at a character in the Bible. He's one of my favorite Bible characters uh, several years ago. I think on Wednesday nights, uh, I preached on this particular Bible character. His name is Hezekiah. We looked at a lot of different facets of his life. He was a king of the southern kingdom of Judah. You remember Israel had been broken into two parts. There was the northern kingdom uh, called Israel, and then the southern kingdom was called Judah. And the northern kingdom was uh, really characterized by apostasy and rebellion, idolatry. The southern kingdom was not characterized the same way or maybe not to the same depth of wickedness, but they too ultimately fell into idolatry and wickedness as well, fornication. And uh, God's judgment was brought to bear on both of those kingdoms at different times. But King Hezekiah was a good king overall. He was really a wonderful king. If you spend any time studying his life, you'll see some wonderful traits and character traits in his life. You'll see some failures as well as there are with so many of us. First um, Samuel chapter 12 and verse 24 says, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider great things he hath done for you. And that's what I want to do a little bit of this morning. I want us to consider uh, just what we can expect God to do in our lives as we ponder the life of Hezekiah, a particular junction, how God so in Hezekiah's life. And so just a little bit of background, King Hezekiah, um, if you study his life as all, you'll, you'll know that he rebelled against evil. Is rebellion a good thing? Well, not if it's against the Lord, but if it's against evil, rebellion is a good And King Hezekiah rebelled against evil when he was just a young king. Uh, The Bible tells us that Hezekiah worked to follow God. I I put it that way intentionally. It is, it requires discipline, it requires dedication, it requires a stick-to-itiveness if you you and I are going to follow the Lord. Uh, Following Christ is not the easy path. It's not the natural inclination of our flesh. We actually have to go against the flow if we're going to follow the Lord. And Hezekiah did that. The Bible tells us Hezekiah discerned the lies of the devil. And uh, he discerned the lies of those evil men around him, those who were speaking lies. He was a very discerning man. And King Hezekiah started very well. Uh, he was following the Lord. But in the 14th year of King reign in Judah, um, he found himself in an impossible situation. And um, so many times in our lives, if we're honest with ourselves, we find ourselves in impossible situations. In fact, do you know that it's impossible for you and for me to overcome the wickedness of our own flesh outside of the salvation of the Lord? Do you realize that? Um, the wickedness of our flesh would overwhelm every one of us if it were not for the grace of God and the salvation of God. So we face, in that sense, every one of us, an impossible situation. Um, There's so many things that we could talk about, I suppose, that, and, and there might be some of you who might say, Pastor Ferguson, I'm facing an impossible situation right now. Well, you're not the first one to face an impossible situation, and who won't be the last person to face an impossible situation. King Hezekiah was there. 
This Assyrian king, Sennacherib, was winning victory after victory after victory. You can read about it in the book of 2 Kings. And uh, he had defeated, he had laid siege to so many different cities around, now in Judah, all around Jerusalem. And now, at this point in the text, in 2 Kings chapter 19, he has laid siege, this Assyrian king, a very powerful man, really we might even call the Assyrian nation a superpower of those days, They had laid siege to the city of Jerusalem, which would have been the capital city of the southern kingdom of Judah and the place where Hezekiah, king of Judah, would have been. And there was nothing King Hezekiah could do to save his people. Have you ever been in a position like that where you you consider all of your options and your conclusion is there's nothing that I can do? There's nothing that I can do. And that's where King Hezekiah was. But God does great things. I think it's in those moments in our lives where we realize there's nothing that I can do that we are in the best place to see God do what only God can do. Oftentimes in our lives when we think that we still have many options to do something, to make a difference ourselves, to accomplish something ourselves, I fear oftentimes at those times in our lives that we, we fail to give God the glory that is due him because we ourselves might consider, well, to, I sure showed some wisdom. We might not say it this way, but I sure showed some wisdom and knowledge in the decision I made there. Good thing I made that choice. King Hezekiah was in a place, and we're going to see he takes some action, but there wasn't none of the action he took by any scholars uh, in military school would have said, That is how you defeat a superpower. That's how you should have defeated the king Sennacherib and his 185,000 men encamped outside of Jerusalem, your city. This was not the action. There was nothing King Hezekiah could do, but God did great things. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 19, and I'll begin reading in verse number 14. 2 Kings 19, beginning in verse 14. I'll read down through verse 19 here. And then we'll pray, and then we'll ponder this passage this morning. Second Kings chapter 19, look at verse 14. It says, And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And this would have been this particular letter coming to Hezekiah. What does he do with it after he reads it? Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. O Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, The kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. But they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand. that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou. So 
Sennacherib had sent these men to King Hezekiah to the gates of Jerusalem. And for some time they had spoken lies and attacked. Basically said, we have destroyed everybody around you. We've taken over every other nation. We've sacked every other city. And your king, King Hezekiah, is telling you that your God is going to help you. And we're here to tell you that we've destroyed everybody else. and Their gods have not been able to help them at all. And you're next. And King Hezekiah, when he gets this letter, he lays it out before the Lord. And he says, God, this is what they're saying about you. They're saying, like, they're saying that you are like every other God. That you, that you cannot save. And God, I'm asking you to please save us. And he prayed. Let's, let's pray now. And we'll ask God to teach us from this passage and to encourage our hearts and to strengthen us. And, uh, and then we'll look at God's word together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. Thank you for your long suffering to us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for being gracious to us. Thank you for your love, how unfailing it is. Lord, thank you for teaching us how to love. Lord, please, I ask that you continue to be merciful to us in this way. Continue to grow us. Lord, thank you for the blessings that you give us in this life. Thank you for the opposition that we face. Lord, you are our salvation. You are our portion. You are our inheritance. Father, I pray like Hezekiah and like so many of us who have believed upon your name, who have found you to be faithful and able, sufficient. Father, I pray that we would be reminded of who you are and how great you are. We would not fear evil. We would not fear the future. We would not fear what we may perceive. Father, that we would be reminded in our heart to rejoice in the greatness of you, our God, our Savior, he who lives within us. Father, I pray that you'd be glorified in our hearts today as we receive your word. Bless your word in our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't often quote this particular individual, but Charles Swindoll says this. He wrote this. He said, we are all faced with a series of great opportunities, brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. We are all faced with a series of great opportunities, brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. Um, uh, my staff and I will joke sometimes about whether I'm an optimist or not. Uh, some of you are like me, and we would say, well, I'm not a pessimist, I'm a realist. Okay, that's what we call ourselves, um, maybe. Some, some folks are more optimistic, you know. Years ago, uh, probably more about eight years ago, seven, almost eight years ago, I remember Pastor Burden, and we were talking about a certain author, and, and uh, he had described certain kinds of people like this. Rainbow puking unicorns is how that person described it. In other words, all they see is pleasant things, no matter what. And, and those aren't my words, but I, I, I haven't forgotten that picture. You know, the people are just so optimistic. And, and we would laugh about that because that's just not me. <laughs> okay. Uh, optimism is there, but reality is there, too. 
And so sometimes when we look at impossible situations, we see them just simply as that. And we might say, well, I'm just being honest, Seth. I'm just seeing it the way it is. I'm just saying it the way it is. That's just the way it is. It's gonna, it's th- this is the way it is. It's always going to be like this. Nothing's going to change. I can tell you who, how people are going to respond. and I, That's just the way that it is. I appreciate the way Swindoll words that. We're all faced with a series of great opportunities, brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. With God, all things are possible. We worship a great God. We gather together week after week on the first day of the week to Why the first day of the week? Because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and overcame death and hell on the first day of the week. And if he could overcome death and hell, then we who believe upon him can overcome death and hell. We can overcome our past. We can overcome the present. We can overcome all that is evil. We can overcome that which we deserve because of the power of God through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, we worship a great and mighty God. Psalm 104 and verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. Psalm 145 and verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. You cannot exhaust it. It's unsearchable. You cannot trace his greatness down to all of its ends. It just keeps going. It's unsearchable. I have three considerations from this narrative this morning. And when I look at a narrative like this, a story in the Bible, it's a little harder to preach it. It's harder to get it into points. Uh, And so I'll try to, there's quite a few verses that make up this narrative. And so it would take a bit of a time. It could be a series as it was years ago. But I have three considerations about the greatness of God. And the first consideration that strikes me as I look at this situation in King Hezekiah's life is that God hears and answers prayer. And this is part of his greatness. This is part of his greatness. There are a lot of things that could be said about his greatness as it pertains to God hearing our prayers and answering you, hearing me, God hearing me, wanting to hear me, and answering me. Just Seth. And there's some wonderful things we could talk about that. Here in the text, the Assyrian king Sennacherib is making demands upon King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah, in good conscience, can't comply with the demands that Sennacherib was making. King Hezekiah was under tremendous stress. Can you imagine? Everything around him is caved in. The other cities have been taken. His allies have proven worthy and unable to help him and unable to deliver him. He's tried to make some alliances. He's tried to cover his back. He's tried to be a good king from a human perspective in every way. And he's under tremendous stress. His back is to the wall. Destruction seems inevitable. For his kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel has already been destroyed, already taken into captivity. The southern kingdom, not yet. And everything's falling, uh, 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 falling down around him. And what does he do? Well, he prayed during this difficult time. Look back, if you would, to verse, verse 1. And, and notice how desperate Hezekiah was and, 
how desperate his situation was. Looking, looking with me at verse number one of chapter 19, he says, And it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it that he rent his clothes. That was a Middle Eastern custom of those days. It was a sign of, of great distress. It was a sign of, of humbling oneself. He rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, which was over the household of Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth to Isaiah. And this is the first time Isaiah is mentioned in the Bible. Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This is a day of trouble and of rebuke and blasphemy. And notice it was a day, it was a day of rebuke because the, the southern kingdom of Judah had sinned greatly against the Lord. Let me tell you this. They deserved to be taken by Sennacherib, king of Assyria. They deserved that. They did not deserve deliverance. They had not been righteous. And this is a day of blasphemy, for the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. Destruction and death were close and notice that there are really two reasons, I think, why King Hezekiah prayed and why Hezekiah expected God to answer. One reason, I think, was because he was in trouble and he didn't have the strength to overcome. The child is ready to be born, but there's not strength to birth the child. What's going to happen in that scenario? And he didn't turn to men for help. He just lays it out before the Lord. Now, he is going to seek wisdom and prayer from his good friend, an older man by the name of Isaiah, the prophet. But ultimately, he is seeking help from God. In Jeremiah 33 and verse 3, the Bible says, call unto me. And God was speaking to Jeremiah while Jeremiah was in prison, wrongfully in prison. Another hopeless situation. And God said to Jeremiah, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Look again at chapter 19, verse 14, how Hezekiah prayed. We read it earlier, and I, I, we could spend a, a lot of time in this. We won't. Look at verse 14. And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. This is the problem. These are the accusations. This is the impossible situation. And Hezekiah, it says in verse 15, prayed before the Lord. And said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. In other words, God, you have the ability. I do not. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, and the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands. And have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdom of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. This was this king praying. Why did he pray? Well, he was in trouble and he didn't have strength to overcome the trouble. We're ready to give birth, but there's not strength. Death is inevitable. 
He also prayed because God's honor was at stake. This is very important, these two thoughts. Why did he pray? Because he, he did not have the strength to do what needed to be done, number one. Number two, he prayed because God's honor was at stake. You know, I often talk to you, maybe not enough, but I often talk to you and draw your attention to the reality of praying biblically. That is according to the will of God. We all have desires that we want to see fulfilled. But sometimes our desires are not in line with God's desires. And that really, that, that chafes us, that rubs us the wrong way when we're in the flesh. We want to pout like some of my children when their ways are not being fulfilled. Or like my children's father when his ways aren't being fulfilled, right? And so Hezekiah here prays for the second reason, because God's glory was at stake. The king of Assyria, Sennacherib, was saying publicly and openly, and not just outside of the walls of Jerusalem, but this was his arrogant attitude, that he was greater than all of the gods of the earth. Well, that might have been true, since most of the gods of the earth were made by the Hands of men, not of wood, idols, nothing at all. But Hezekiah comes to the Lord and he says, this is what Sennacherib is saying. And he's saying it about you, God. That he is greater than you. And lest your name, lest your name be blasphemed, God, would you show yourself strong? Look at verse number four in chapter 19. It says, it may be, the Lord thy, Lord thy God will hear all the words of Rabshaki, whom the God of Assyria, his master, hath sent to reproach the living God and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that are left. This is what Isaiah had told uh, Hezekiah, King Hezekiah to do. You need to pray, Hezekiah. You need to pray for the glory of God's name. When's the last time you and I have prayed that way? Sometimes, as a parent, you look at your, and you should, you should know the state of your child, your children. Sometimes we discipline our children, but we do it because it's biblical, but we do it sometimes... Because, and I see this even with unsafe folks, they'll bring measures of discipline upon their children because their children are not behaving the way they think they should behave. But as a child of God, as a Christian parent, I ought to discipline my child and I ought to pray for my child that my child will ultimately bring glory to God and exalt the Lord. That the decisions of my child, my children, the attitudes of my children would bring glory to the Lord. Well, when that child of mine has that bad attitude, they just make us look so bad, you know, always pouting and complaining and such a bad attitude. It's just such a bad look for our family. Is that the greatest concern? Or is my concern that that child with their covetous attitude now as a young person will grow into a covetous adult and bring shame to God's name?
Sometimes we look at situations in our lives and we might say, Lord, I need you to do this. This is what needs to be done. Well, have we considered his name? Have we considered his glory and his honor as a part of is it? Is it motive? Does it motivate us to come to him to pray? And he prayed during this difficult time. He prayed because he was in trouble. We could all identify with that. But he also he also prayed because God's honor was at stake. And I want to encourage you here as we look at this narrative. He also he also seeks the counsel and the wisdom of and, and also the prayer of someone else who is godly, a godly friend. And I would encourage each one of us, this is a blessing of being a part of a family of God, a local church, is that there are people, there are relationships that we have with fellow believers, people that we can go to, somebody who's spiritual, who can join us in praying for a certain matter. You know, after describing the dire situation to Isaiah, the prophet, King Hezekiah made this particular request. Look at verse four, the latter part. He said, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that is left. And Hezekiah is asking Isaiah, please, would you pray for us? This is all that's left, just us. And I need you to pray for us. Is there really any benefit of asking someone else to pray with us about a matter? In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said this in verse 19. He said, again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. A key to, to answered prayer is to discern what God wants to do about the matter. And that's where confidence in prayer is found, when we know that God will answer because we know that we're asking according to the will of God. And 1 John 5 speaks about that. And part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to help us how, to know how to pray. Matthew 18 speaks of that. When two believers join together in prayer, it is easier to discern what the Spirit of Christ is saying about how to pray because his influence is upon those two minds of those two individuals. And when two men, when two minds, believers, agree as touching the thing for which to ask, they're asking for, it is evidence that the Lord Jesus Christ is leading them Holy Spirit is making intercession for them. And I would ask you this. Do you have a godly friend? Your spouse ought to be that godly friend. You say, I don't have a spouse, uh, a, a friend. Uh, do you have a born-again believer who's your friend? Maybe a son or a daughter or a, a fellow sister or brother in Christ within the local church. Do you have a friend you can call on to pray with you about the serious matters of life. And there have been times where Cindy and I have prayed about a matter and there have been times where we have talked with one another about whether or not we were praying for the right thing. We know what we wanted. We know we knew what we wanted. But were we praying for the right thing? Did we actually want what God wanted? And this is the blessing of having a godly friend. And Isaiah was that kind of a friend to Hezekiah. About the serious matters of life, he was able to seek help from Isaiah to pray with him on the matter. And, and I might ask you this, are you a godly friend to others? Some of us might be tempted to say, well, I don't have a godly friend like that to go to. We might start to feel sorry for ourselves. But let me ask you this, are you a godly friend to others? Are you the kind of individual who is seeking out the word of God and 
seeking to walk with the Lord in your personal life so that when your friends find themselves in situations maybe like Hezekiah was in where they can reach out to you and they can hear a word that is true back from you to them, a word of counsel, a word of encouragement, maybe sometimes a word of rebuke. I think you're asking for the wrong thing here. Are you that kind of a friend? Psalm 116 verse 1 says, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications, because he hath inclined his ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. So I notice, first of all, that God hears and answers prayer. Secondly, as we think about the greatness of God this morning, I notice that God directs our steps through his word. God directs our steps through this book. Are you willing to follow this book? There are parts of it you say, I don't don't know all of it. I don't understand all of it. I'm still learning it. Well, join the club. Because that's me. I'm still learning it. I'm often asked questions and I go, well, I'd have to go back and look at that. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. But God directs us through his word. And this isn't just true today. This was true for King Hezekiah in his day as well. Psalm 119 and verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, in a time of tremendous difficulty, King Hezekiah sought the godly counsel of a friend named Isaiah, and he was a prophet. And what a valuable friend Isaiah was to King Hezekiah we, we know from the book of Isaiah that the prophet Isaiah knew King Hezekiah's father. And the prophet Isaiah actually knew King Hezekiah's grandfather. So when we think about this idea of a friendship between King Hezekiah and Isaiah, we're not talking about two 23-year-olds. You're with me. We're not talking about two men who had, they were both kings, and so they, did, they were in the same line of work. They didn't live in the same place. I don't know what their hobbies were. Because sometimes when we think about friendship, we think of friendship that way. You've got to be about the same age. and You've got to be at the same stage in life. And, 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 and it's hard to cross over those barriers, you know. There are some in this room who have been tremendous friends to me. Many in this room. And not all of us in this room are at the same stage of life. Some within this room this morning have been there at times to encourage me and even at other times to rebuke me in the proper way. And I praise God for you. I've learned from you as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Isaiah here is not, uh, uh, he's a contemporary, but he's not the same age. He had been a friend of King Hezekiah's father and grandfather and great-grandfather. You read it in Isaiah. So Isaiah had watched Hezekiah grow up. He'd watch the king grow up. It's a wonderful thing to have a friend that tells you the truth. Uh, Proverbs 27 and verse 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And Isaiah gave Hezekiah messages from God, and that's what the prophets would do in those days. Isaiah was a prophet. He was a foreteller. We don't have foretellers anymore because we have the completed word of God. So if someone shows up to you and says, hey, listen, this is what God said to me. And by the way, be careful of this. 
sometimes we get caught up in saying this, these things to one another. You know what? Then God said to me, well, how did you hear him? Did you hear his voice audibly? Because God leads us, doesn't he? We, we sometimes talk about the still small voice. He leads us. He guides us. He, there's no doubt he directs our steps. He orders our ways. But be careful of getting caught up in a little, what I might call a little bit being dramatic. I said to God, and then God said to me, this is how God speaks to us. Okay. Now, in those days, Isaiah, the prophet, he was a prophet and God would talk audibly to the prophet. And then Isaiah, the prophet, would deliver the message from God to King Hezekiah. And frankly, that's how the Bible was given. Second Peter talks about that, that no prophecy of his any of it, uh, any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now look at the message that God gave to Isaiah for Hezekiah during this time of crisis. Look at verse number five, in chapter 19, verse five. It says, so the servant of, of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah and Isaiah said unto them, thus shall ye say to your master, thus saith the Lord be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, which with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. It's interesting, God already knew that what they had been saying about it. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, king, the king of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and he shall hear a rumor and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. And so in other words, the message, if I could make it a little more concise, was this. Uh, Hezekiah, don't be afraid. God is well aware of what King Sennacherib is saying. He's well aware of the lies. He's well aware of the blasphemy. He's well aware of the attacks. Don't be afraid. Look at verse number 20. Verse 20, I'm going to read down through verse 28. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, said to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, that which thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. So God tells Isaiah, I've heard Hezekiah's prayer. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? Now God's speaking here to Sennacherib. And against whom hast thou exalted thy voice and lifted up thine eyes on high, even against the Holy One of Israel? By thy messengers thou hast reproached the Lord and hast said, With the multitude of my chariots I am come up to the height of the mountains, to the sides of Lebanon, and will cut down the tall cedar trees thereof and the choice fir trees thereof. And I will enter into the lodgings of his borders and into the forest of his carmel. God again is recounting Sennacherib's heart. This is what Sennacherib had been thinking. I have digged and drunk strange waters, and with the sole of my feet I have I dried up all the rivers of besieged places? Hast thou not heard long ago, God says to Sennacherib, how I have done it, and of ancient times that I have formed it? Sennacherib, he's talking to a pagan king. Haven't you heard that I, God is speaking, am the creator of the heavens and the earth? Sennacherib, you think you're something. You think you can defeat anybody. You think nobody can stop you. You think you make up your own plans for your own life and you conquer whom you will. You have a plan, Sennacherib. I understand that, but Sennacherib, don't you know, haven't you heard? Just 
through ancient accounts that I am the one who created everything? I mean, this is, I like this. He says, now have I brought it to pass that thou shouldest be to lay waste, fence cities into ruinous heaps. God says, the only reason you're having any success at all is because I have allowed it. Therefore, their inhabitants were of smaller power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and as the green herbs, as the grass on the housetops and as corn blasted before it is grown up. But I know thy abode. I love what God says there. I know thy abode and thy going out and thy coming in and thy rage against me. You know what God was saying to King Sennacherib? I know where you live. I know your schedule. That's a threat. You think, and, and by the way, I think of, I think of our world today. There are world leaders around the world today, and people and powerful men in places meeting and making plans. You know what? Like Sennacherib, if they are able to defeat and destroy, it's because God allows it. You understand that? They can't do a thing unless God allows it. And God knows where they live. Verse 28, because thy rage against me, which means arrogance, thy, or, or, thy rage against me and thy tumult, that word tumult means arrogance, is come up into mine ears. Therefore, I will put my hook in thy nose. He's talking to the most powerful man in this region. I'll put my hook in thy nose and my bridle in thy lips, and I will turn thee back by the way that thou camest. And this shall be a sign unto thee. Ye shall eat this year. Now, now God's message from, through Isaiah comes back to King Hezekiah, and he says, Ye shall eat this year such things as grow of themselves, and in the second year that which springeth out of the same, and in the third year sow ye and reap and plant vineyards and eat the fruits thereof. And now God's speaking to Hezekiah and he says, there's going to be a future. You're looking outside and you see all the military and the Assyrians and you see no hope and you see nothing but destruction ahead of you. But I want you to know something, King Hezekiah. There's a future. There's a future. Verse 30. And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again, yet again, take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and they that escape out of Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, shall do this. Look at verse 32. We'll read down to verse 34. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city. Now, the king's been sending his people, and all they're talking about is we're going to come in there, and we're going to take you, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. God says to King Hezekiah, that king, the most powerful man in the world at that time in that area, he is not going to come. He's not going to lay a foot in that city. He's not going to shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield or cast a bank against it. And they would bring in a, a wall of earth so they could uh, breach the walls of the city. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it. Why? Look at this. For mine own sake. And for my servant David's sake. I'll say nothing more than this on this point, but God always keeps his word. He always keeps his word. You know, God delivers his message to us today, not through a prophet like Isaiah, 
God doesn't speak to us audibly. Today, we don't have prophets that say, thus saith the Lord, as Isaiah did, but they don't deliver new revelation to us from God's mouth. But we do have people, we do have the word of God and people who believe the word of God and speak the truth. And that's my role as a pastor is to preach the word of God because it is pure. It is holy. It is true. Every word of it is true. And we ought to be diligently studying the written word of God and faithfully receiving what the word of God says. Philippians 4, 6 says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24 says, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. We need to stay close to those who watch for our souls. And some of us have parents, moms and dads who have watched for our souls. And, and I want to be the kind of pastor who watches for your soul. And I want our pastoral staff to be the kind of men who watch for your soul. And to some degree, we as brothers and sisters in Christ ought to watch for one another's souls. Stay close to those people. Sometimes those who watch for your soul, they, they tell you things you don't want to hear. It's like a, years ago when before Cindy was dating me, before we'd ever met, there was a couple young men who liked her over those high school years and early college years. And, and they would go out on a date or something like that. And Cindy's dad would say, you know what, he's nice, but he's not the one for you. Cindy wasn't too pleased about that. Well, I'm, I'm pleased. Well, I'm thankful for that. You know, we don't want to, you don't want to be that parent sometimes that says, you know what, they're not the right one for you. Or this isn't the right time for that relationship. That's a faithful parent. Be that parent. Sometimes with our spouse, it needs to be said that direction. You know what? You've been really grumpy lately. You've been really cranky. Are you okay? I want to help you. You know, it's bothering me. This is bothering me. Not because you are a bother to me, but because I love you and I love the Lord. And I want God's blessing in your life. You're going down this path again. Do you have that with that close person in your life? One more consideration this morning will be done. The consideration is simple and is this. God can deliver you from evil. And he can deliver me from evil too. What have we, what have we observed this morning? Well, God hears and answers prayer. God directs our steps by his word. And finally, God can deliver us from evil. You know, one of the greatest joys of being a Christian is the fact that we have the salvation of God. He lives within us. And he can deliver us from death and hell to come. And he is delivering us from sin today. And we stumble and fall and we, we, we confess our sins. He helps us back to our feet. We confess our sins. He cleans us. He's faithful and just to do so. And he'll take our hand again, even though sometimes we're pulling away from him. He'll hold our hand and he'll walk with us through life. Through the trials and hardships of life. Look at verse number 35, would you? Verse 35. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians and a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. 
The Assyrians were camped outside of Jerusalem. 185,000 men. These are the guys who have sacked city after city after city. Jerusalem is besieged. They're cut off. There's no one to help them. There's no hope. God hears and answers prayer. Not of a perfect king. And God delivered a message through his messenger. As he delivers to us today, we ought to look to his word for hope. And sometimes when we look to his word for hope, we'll find conviction. And we'll be, we'll be found guilty, but we'll also find hope in his words. God kept his word. Those soldiers of Assyria never laid a foot inside the city of Jerusalem. They never fired an arrow. And why not? Because God, with how many angels? How many? One. The angel of the Lord went through the camp of the Assyrian soldiers that night and slew 185,000 men. They did not wake up. This is our God. And sometimes we find ourselves wringing our hands. What are we going to do? I think Hezekiah was there. We can identify to some degree with him, though we do not bear his authority and responsibility, but we can identify to some degree. Sometimes we find ourselves wringing our hands. What are we going to do? If there's no salvation. There's nowhere to go. I want you to know God is great. God is great. He is our salvation. Those that were left when they arose early in the morning... Behold, they were all dead corpses, 185,000 of them. And so Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And it came to pass as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, notice the lowercase g, that Adremelech and Sherezer, his sons, smote him with the sword. And they escaped into the land of Armenia and Ezerhaddon, his son reigned in his stead. The most powerful man in that region of the world in that day. Talking big, big talker. I've conquered this nation. I've conquered that nation. I've had my way with that kingdom. Nobody can stand in my way. The gods of the earth. And God says, I know where you live. You will not do anything to the city of Jerusalem. I want to think for just a moment about death and hell. Many of us here have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and have overcome death and hell. We are not afraid because Jesus Christ is our Savior and he has taken our sins away and forgiven us of everything. He has given unto us eternal life. And now I want to mention just a moment for those of us who are saved about temptation and sin. Because the God who could destroy that Assyrian army also by his spirit and by his word, by the Lord Jesus Christ within us. And we, and we sang about it earlier today. We have victory over sin. We don't have to sin. We don't have to. We do. We do. We do not have to. We are not slaves to it. 
1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. God is faithful. The same God who was faithful to King Hezekiah. When he looked out over those walls of Jerusalem at an army that he never could defeat. It's the same God who was faithful to us. When we consider our flesh and the wickedness of our flesh and the temptations of this world and the length of life, which sometimes seems so brief and at other times seems so long, God is faithful. He is our salvation. Worship him. Let's worship him. Let's look to him. So what kind of difficult or impossible situation are you facing? What is it in your life? At this time in history, are you looking at that you have found yourself concerned with or vexed with or unsure about, at the very least, not knowing what you're going to do? Go to the Lord in prayer. Seek him. Seek him in his word and you will find him. And you will find that he is able. He is able. And we should worship him. Let's close with a word of prayer, and then Pastor Tom is going to lead us in a hymn. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for King Hezekiah, a man that you've recorded for us portions of his life. He was not a perfect man, Lord. He failed you at times in his life. And yet, Lord, you used him. He sought you in his time of need, and he found you as he sought the truth. And you delivered him and your people, not because they were a righteous people, not because they had done right, Lord, but because you are righteous and you are merciful and full of mercy. Father, I pray for mercy upon us as your people. Thank you for your blessings. Lord, may we praise your name now as we sing. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.